Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I am Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today I have the inimitable Paul Lambert on the show. This guy has, like, wait till you hear this guy. You're not going to believe, number one, what he's done, who he is, who he knows, who he's worked with. It's, it's mind-blowing. So do me a favor and do your friends and family a favor. Go ahead and share this out because you're going to want everybody to hear this guy's story. You're going to want to become friends with him. I promise you. You're going to be like, I need that guy as a friend. So share it out right now, and we will be right back. And we are back. Let me bring Paul on. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ken. Welcome. I'm just so glad to be here with your audience. I'm I'm very, very grateful to have you here. We met through Tim Story and the World Shaker Society. Um, our, that's pretty top secret society, isn't it? We shouldn't be. Impressive. I've got to tell you, it's a great title. It's yeah, we're, we're shoulder to shoulder in that. That's right. That's right. So Paul, I've, um, I've heard you speak in there and every time you talk, I listen, you're, you're unbelievably, um, wise, like you've, you've, you've done a few things and, and I love hearing, um, about the things that you've done and who you've worked with and all that. So I'm just excited to have you here. So let's start with, um, today we want to help people have a breakthrough in life, right? So help them get unstuck. If they're watching and they're stuck, let's see if we can help them. So start with where you were born and raised. You know, I'm, I'm from Modesto, California, which is in the San Joaquin Valley, kind of halfway between Fresno and Sacramento. Yeah. It's, it's an agriculture area where, um, Gallo Wine has their headquarters. So they grow grapes and apricots and peaches and, Del Monte has a big uh, set of factories there. So I, I was from kind of a small agricultural area that now has become very big. And you commute to San Francisco from here now on BART and everything else. But Modesto is dear to my heart. And, um, you know, George Lucas of Star Wars fame went okay. to Thomas County High School with me. Uh, and what's what's interesting is he was on the yearbook staff and kind of a nerd at the time. And uh, today where I live up here near Sausalito above San Francisco, um, he and I live maybe a mile apart. And uh, we see each other in the grocery store, squeeze lettuce together. But uh, he's $6 billion richer today, <laughs> Thomas County High School, because Disney bought Star Wars from him. But yeah. Man, was where it all started. And, and, you know, I was very curious as a child and I would go in the backyard, I would turn over peach boxes and I would cut oranges and make my own little piano there. And mother would look at me and she would say, now he's curious about music. And then one day I came out of the bedroom with a full a raincoat, bright yellow with a yellow hat. And mother would look up at the sky and she'd say, now, son, there's not a cloud in the sky. I don't think you're going to need your raincoat today. And I said, mother, I am a lion. And she said, and so you are. And I think, I think these are clues in your childhood of, in my case, my curiosity and imagination, love for music started there. And then Ann Arbel up in Fresno invited me up and took me one year when I was very young to see a summer stock uh, show of um, The Wizard of Oz. Wow. And I was just fascinated by The Wizard of Oz. And I loved seeing the actors and the music. And as I got older and got into high school, I, I would go buy albums at Long's Drugstore of all the latest musicals. I don't know why I did it. My brother was listening to Blood, Sweat, and Tears, and I was listening to Brigadoon. 
And uh, my favorite TV shows was the Miss America pageant and the Tony Awards way back then. And um, when I went to Downey High School, I, I was honored enough to play Lancelot in Camelot. So I had the full tights on, the cape, the whole nine yards. And I walked out on opening night and uh, Lancelot sings C'est Moi, which is a wonderful opening song for the entrance of Lancelot. And I remember the uh, the orchestrator, Eleanor McKnight Haynes, went bum, ba-da-dum, bum, 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 bum. And that means it's your turn, Paul. Yeah. Went totally blank. I could not remember the first word, the first lyric. Now that's pretty tough since the that's first bad. lyric of Say Moi is Camelot. <laughs> I went, but that, but here's the lesson in that. I realized that day I was not meant for that side of the stage uh, and for the other side of the stage. Wow. The panic I went through lasted maybe three seconds, but that panic was a call that said, you know, and then, you know, I, I, I was a good student, competitive, played sports and everything, but I got to tell you the, um, Vietnam war was going on at the time. And I was very nervous about leaving Modesto, you know? Yeah. Uh, the first Baptist church in series is where we attended at the time. Yeah. And, um, I could have gone to Harvard in political science, or I could have gone to Southern Cal in music. And I went to a little school in Chicago because I was nervous, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And uh, fortunately, I took piano there, uh, broke my wrist in intramural basketball. But um, I, I, I wanted to find out what I thought of God myself, not what my parents thought, not what the Baptist church thought. What did I think? Yeah. And so I spent this time at Moody and you know, here in the middle of Chicago, I used to go to the Cubs game for 90 cents and sit in right field. And I started going to music concerts there. And I fell in love with Moody. I thought I'd only go there one year. Then I'd go to Harvard or Southern yeah. Cal. Right. And I I was so happy I never left. And I finished my Bible theology uh, degree there, went on to Wheaton College after that. And then um, I've always been sort of a self-made man, wanted to go out and start things for myself. And I uh, learned about marketing and advertising. I worked for a catalog showroom there in Carroll Stream, Illinois, and learned about what difference advertising makes, yeah. even to a catalog house. And that's how it all started. And then I said, look, I want to do something on my own. Right. So I left that job. And, and in Chicago, I started knocking on doors of chapter 11 companies because I thought- you, you literally went out and knocked on their door? Yeah, I looked up who wow. went chapter 11 and um, I would go uh, write them, call them, talk to them and say, look, I, I, I don't know if you can pay your bills or not, but I'm looking for new clients. And if I can do uh, do my work and, and we find something together, uh, it would be great. One of those customers was shipped electric shavers and they had gone bankrupt and then they said well we'll give you our business you know we'll we'll give you some business and uh we don't know if we can pay you or not you know and, and wow. it just all started from there and then remington bought Schick because they wanted the market share yeah. and uh they said well we don't really care about Schick because we just want to buy them so they don't compete with it and who is this guy that's got their advertising so they got a hold to me and uh, they said, uh, look, you can keep the account, but we're bringing everything to New York. Would you mind coming to New York? You got to be in New York if you're going to. Oh, I said, my bags are packed. And <laughs> off to New York I went. Oh, I had an account. I had the Schick account, you know. And I didn't know where to go in New York or anything else. But I landed at the Chelsea Hotel and uh, met oh, my man. next door neighbor who was a young man named Sid Vicious. And Sid Vicious was a punk rocker in the Sex Pistols. So you had the Moody Bible Institute graduate next to the Sex Pistols, <laughs> Sid Vicious. And that's how I met New York, you know. So that, oh, my gosh. New York. That is hilarious. How long were you in New York? 30 years. Um, 30 years. Although I will tell you this, I shuttled between 
New York and LA at this time in my life yeah. because I would get tired of New York after about five years. Yeah. And then um, I'd go to LA and stay there a couple of years and um, get tired of the traffic and move back to New York. Uh, but while in New York, you know, this love for theater, even though I was in the advertising business and, yeah. and I, I fortunately got some uh, plenty of work there. And if you know the um, area, Times Square has the 1515 building where MTV is and okay. uh, a lot I of- don't, I don't know the area actually. Oh, well, <laughs> maybe some of your listeners do. And yeah. we moved into the 38th floor of that particular building wow. where Nickelodeon and, and all of those different Viacom companies are. And um, I grew to love New York and do the advertising, but my love for theater was always right here. Yeah. And um, Dream Girls had opened and Jennifer Holiday was so exciting and all of that. And so I would go to Dream Girls and it was almost like therapy. I would go sometimes once every two weeks. And yeah. I noticed Jennifer Holiday, the big star, sometimes wouldn't go on. And she had an understudy named Sheila Ellis. Now, when you're a big star like Jennifer Holiday and people paid money to see you, when yeah. Sheila would walk out on the stage, they go, oh, it's not Jennifer. But she was terrific. She couldn't sing as big as Jennifer, but she was a great actress. Right. So one day I waited at the stage door and I said to her, I said, you know, you are terrific. And if I could buy you a cup of coffee, I'd like to share with you how terrific I am. She looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> she said, well, all right, let's go for a cup of coffee. I said, Sheila, when you come out on that stage, it only takes you one or two scenes and you've got the whole crowd back in the palm of your hand and the whole cast is trying hard. And I, and well, anyway, we became friends. She got to know me. She invited me to the Dream Girls Wednesday afternoon Bible study, which was held by Cheryl Lee Ralph, the Emmy wow. Award winner now, and uh, Ben Harney. So that was my first insider look, was at a Bible study of the Dream Girls cast. Well, wow. the fire had now been lit. I loved being being there. I even babysit for some of the cast members when they would go on, and Sheila had a beautiful young son. And I have to tell you, Dream Girls will always be special in my heart because it made me a believer that I was really meant for this. And I think for those wow. in your audience, it starts with what is your calling and what are you really meant to do? Right. Because if you can look back at your childhood and start looking at what excited you, what interested you, and even though you didn't know where it was going and going to take you at the time, yeah. the other side of that coin is that is also what God is equipping you to do. He's right. putting that little something in your heart, which starts with desire. And then he's putting the equipment in your life, both in talent and life experiences that give you the chance to maximize what God really intended for you to do. And part of what I needed to learn was how to deal with celebrities, how to deal with big talent, yeah. how to deal with egos. And but over my course of advertising, marketing, and then theater eventually, you know, I've worked with Betty White. I've worked with Shirley Jones. I've worked with Aretha Franklin. I've worked with, you know, wow. uh, Holland Dozier Holland of Motown, Mary Wilson of the Supremes. And, and you just go on and on to this cavalcade of, of people and little boy from Modesto has worked with these people, you know, but I, yeah. I, I was just always me. I was having fun. I remember Anthony Newley, who was a great Broadway star and, and wrote Stop the World, I Want to Get Off and a number of great songs. What kind of fool am I? And, you know, I really wanted to work with him. I, I just loved Anthony Newley. So I wrote him a note and I said, I would really like to meet you. And he came up the, the sidewalk where I was and he was singing On a Wonderful Day Like Today, which is one of his songs. And I said, yes, on a wonderful day like today, I get to meet Anthony Newley. And he looked at me and he smiled and he said, you know, Paul, I'd walk a million miles for your smile. I said, is that a fact? It was only about three years later when I learned that was the second verse of his song. Oh. <laughs> a million miles for wow. your smile. Now, when I was growing up, 
Mary Poppins was very popular. And yeah. I thought in junior high, it was the coolest thing to be able to say supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Yeah. But that isn't good enough. You've got to you've got to set yourself apart. So I would say at cocktail <laughs> parties and everything else, I, I, can you say it backwards? And people would say backwards. I'd say yes, docious aliexpiastic fragile rufus. <laughs> and they'd look at you. One, is that correct? And number two, <laughs> what are you doing? Well, it's being smart. If you listen to the second verse, Julie Andrews sings it. Dosha Sally Yexbyistic Fragicala Rufus. It's in the song. Really? The reason I'm bringing that out. Are, you're serious. I'm dead serious. Absolutely. Dosha Sally Yexbyistic Fragicala Rufus is supercalifragilisticexpialidocious backwards. <laughs> Only someone like me. <laughs> as many times as I've seen that, and I didn't know that. That's insane. <laughs> Um, um, you know, when she does that, yeah. you know, and she goes right into it. But now, Ken, you'll have something you have to do after this. You have oh to go back gosh. and listen to that. But wow. these are little nuggets that interested me, that I was curious about, that I could accentuate and promote when I'm in these circles that make me sort of unique. And I think um, wow, when I was in New York, Jersey Boys had hit. And... Um, the catalog, you know, jukebox musicals were starting to take off. Yeah. And someone introduced me, uh, someone I played pool with, believe it or not, said, I want to introduce you to um, Holland Dozier Holland. Um, they, they are big. I said, I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with them. Paul, get familiar with them. I'm about to introduce you to them. Well, they wrote all the hits for the Supremes, all the hits, many of them for the four tops. They're Motown, along with Smokey Robinson. They're one of Motown's absolutely most fabulous composers. Wow. Well, I troop to LA. I'm sitting with them, and they're looking at me like, you know, what is this guy going to try to do with us? And I said, I want to do a musical with your music. Well, everybody kind of wants to do Broadway. No matter how big you are, everybody wants to do Broadway. Yeah. And they were still looking at me kind of, you know, suspicious like. And then I said, look, the world wants to thank you. That was the line that did it. Wow. They said, we're in, we're in. Wow. And I started developing a relationship with the Motown family and them. I mean, Eddie Holland took me to Madison Square Garden to see Diana Ross one time. So we went backstage and when he took me into the room, there she is with her family. And she threw her arms out and said, hey, everybody, look at the man who made me famous. And that was Eddie Holland. That's how I met Diana Ross. And these life experiences make you comfortable, but they're necessary because someday you're going to say, and God is saying it with you, it's my turn. And uh. it is, it's your turn, Paul Lambert to step up. Wow. And now, even though I've, I've had a colorful life, a fun life, um, what's next for me is we're going to open a new studio in Los Angeles. Most theaters done in London and New York, but this is going to be like Paramount or United Artists, a big studio that develops global musicals. Wow. Something very different than the traditional musical. When you develop a musical, now you, you get a story, you kind of package it with people, you run out and try to get investors, you never have enough money in the beginning, so you're, you're crunching and crunching and everybody's working for nothing, and then you get a reading up and you get invested, and it's just, it is such a tense environment. Right. Then if you open on Broadway, what a lot of people don't realize is there's 39 competitors. The day you open, there's 39 other shows competing with you. Is that right. really where you want to open? Right. You know, off the bat? <laughs> right, right. So what we're doing in this particular new venture is we're picking a topic for a musical first. Then we're studying the audience that we think through digital, we can we'll learn who that audience would be. What about this topic is interesting to that audience. I'll, I'll, I'll just give you an example. Uh, a topic 
of today is robots and AI and man versus machine. Let's call it that. Yep. That's a topic, for instance. Yep. And we have done great research on that topic. And we are now building a story that takes place on another planet where the, I don't want to get into the whole story, but give it away, but yeah. there's a whole civilization of robots on this planet and they are in the majority and man is in the minority. So it's a flip on that whole idea. And as we develop this show, we will also have a brand extension. Yeah. The robots is a musical, but it's also going to be a video game. It's also going to be this. It's also going to have comic books. It's also this whole thing is a full brand. And the musicals that we're doing at the new studio, yeah. iStage Live, it is going to be developed for global distribution. We have eight cities that we're going to go to. and We're going to circulate our shows among these eight cities. And it's going to be very exciting. We're also redoing theaters so that they're modern, up-to-date, special effects. I mean, there's a there's like a video screen you can put over the audience and now have birds fly over the audience or clouds fly over the audience. Wow. It's amazing what can be done. And, yeah. and, and I've got to tell you, I am so excited about this. And the other thing is, I think musicals are, you've always heard are financially risky. Yeah. Oh my Lord, 70% fail. They do. Oh, do they really? Oh yeah, they wow. do. Wow. And there's lots of reasons why. But if you are part of a bigger studio, which has multiple projects, yeah, Jersey Boys has done over $4 billion. Mamma Mia has done over $4 billion. Wow. Phantom and Lion King, they're in the, they're even bigger than that. Yeah. So you get one of these right and global distribution. You're in, you're into big, big, big money. And I think what we're doing, you're an expert in the digital world, and you know that this can be done in this day and age. Before a show ever opens, you build that audience online. You have them engaged with what you're doing. Yeah. They feel a part of it. They feel that you care about them. And all of a sudden, in any project we do, we'll have two to five million people online before opening night. My, my next show is going to be with the four tops, uh, the story of Duke Fakir and the four tops. Jeez. And their biggest hit is reach out, I'll be there. Yeah. And we're going to make I'll be there the theme of this music. That's our topic. Wow. Thinking about this day and age, how many people feel marginalized, confused, yeah. the chaos, it is a, a, it's very difficult to be centered at peace and feel good about yourself. And one of the things those of us need that are strong in the Lord and, and have our lives in a good place now, and it doesn't mean we've always been in a good place. Right. I have been broke. I have been discouraged. I have been all of those things in order to get to maybe a more disciplined life today. Yeah. But I have to tell you, you never can stop reaching out to those in need, the underprivileged. And how about this? I love this phrase. Ray Lewis of the NFL says, I don't like to look at ourselves as underprivileged. He says, we're underestimated. Oh, I love that. We're underestimated. I love that. That's awesome. So wow. We want to promote this theme with the city of Detroit, where the premiere will be, of wow. I'll be there. That's I'll so be awesome. there for each other. Go back to go back to the day you stepped foot into Moody Bible College in Chicago. I, I I'm curious, like, was there ever? Did you ever think, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave here when I graduate and become the pastor of a super church <laughs> or or anything? Did you ever have any thoughts or hopes or aspirations along that line? I was an evangelistic major, which <laughs> meant you you know, I, I love Billy Graham in those days. Yeah. And, and John Ennis, who played 
the keyboards for Billy for many years, went to Moody, uh, is a dear friend of mine even today. So there was something about the bigness, the stadiums, the yeah. performing that was in me even at that time. Right. Um, but I, I didn't feel that that was really what God meant for me, but there was something about it that appealed to me. Again, this, this journey, follow your heart, follow that little voice that God has put in you. So I do think I needed a scriptural and biblical base. Yeah. I needed to decide for myself what I believed, you know, do I even believe the Bible is true? Right. You have to go through those decisions Yeah. and then you make friends at, at Moody and Wheaton college that you have for life. Yeah. And they're with me today and they're doing their thing and I'm doing my thing. But you know, it's, it's funny. Um, I did first wives club in Chicago and Moody reached out to me and wanted to give me a big, uh, play in their alumni magazine and all of that. Cause they'd read about it in the newspaper. Yeah. And then they, and, and, and I saw the article and front page with the photograph and everything. And then the guy called me before it came out and says, Oh, Paul, we got a problem. I said, what's that? He said, they found out first wives club is about divorce. I said, yeah, it is. <laughs> Well, we don't believe in divorce at Moody Bible Institute. And therefore, they're going to bury your story and edit it way down. Wow. Well, I was somewhat disappointed, you know, obviously, because you are who you are and you're proud of where you came from. But they yeah. didn't agree with that part of that project. But, you know, our calling, my calling, is to be Paul Lambert in the place in the kingdom that God has chosen for me. I go to places that others don't. I have access to people that others don't. Right. I'll I'll never forget um, Mrs. Trump, his first wife, I went to see in her Upper East Side place because she was in the movie First Wives Club. Oh, wow. And I'll never forget She said, you know, Paul, um, divorce is a very meaningful subject and it doesn't matter if you're married to Donald Trump or you live in a trailer park. What you go through is the same. Yeah. Because at one time you were a united force, the two of you together. And as your friend and mine, Tim Story says, now you're a divided force. That's what divorce does. And Mm. I listened to Mrs. Trump about the pain and the hurt of what she went through. And I realized exactly what we're talking about here. Whatever the topic is, there is an audience that we all deserve to reach out to. Aretha Franklin got a hold of me because she had heard that. um, Hold, Hold on, Paul. Paul. You're the first person to ever say on my show out of over 500 interviews, Aretha Franklin got a hold of me. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're the very first person to ever say that just for well, the record. So I was I was mingling among the Motown people and they they liked me. And and HB Barnum is her music director for many years. And and Aretha wanted to do a show in Vegas that was a residence show. And she wanted to do something that was different than her road shows. And she wanted to, it, it, it's something, as she put it, you only could see in Vegas. Mm. And so they said, well, why don't you talk to Paul Lambert? So Miss Franklin reached out to me and I flew to Detroit. Wow. And I um, walked in this hotel and she was in the ballroom. And no one else was in the ballroom, but she and another gentleman that was with her. And she had this big hamburger in front of her. And I walked all the way down to to the ballroom. And by the way, she was wearing a tight pair of jeans with silver tennis shoes that sparkled. And she had these big pink feathers on. (laughs) And I sat down and I said, um, wow, those feathers are too much. May I call you Miss Flamingo? (laughs) She looked at me and she said, you may call me Miss Franklin. Oh my God. <laughs> my entire life went before me. 
And I thought, oh, dear. But we started talking. And by the way, H.B. Barnum told me later, I don't believe you said that. I do not believe <laughs> you said to Aretha Franklin, may I call you Miss Flamingo? But I really did. Oh, and it's my God. me. And that's part of my endearing quality and part of my failures, you know. But we started talking and I said to her, let's go to your childhood, Miss Franklin. What did you enjoy as a child? And she said, I love ballet. I said, oh, God. No, dear, ballet. What are we going to do with this? And um, then an idea came to my head. And that idea was, let's do her big hits in a more classical version and have ballet dancers around her. And she's still the center. She loved the idea because wow. I told her we can't be doing music that people want to pay to hear you do your hits. So we, we put together this concept for a show, which would be Aretha Franklin with her hits done in a more classical way and ballet. You know, that's all we had at the moment, but she loved it. She was in, we're going to do it. And then she said, how much does Celine Dion make, though, over there at MGM Grand? I said, well, I don't know. And she said, well, we, 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 we need to find out. And this was, we were trying to do this with the Venetian Hotel. And, you know, that's between them and Aretha and her people. Yeah. She needed like a million dollars up front, a guarantee. And she wanted to make as much money as the number one star in Vegas at the time. Celine. Well, well, that pretty much ended, you know, because they were only going to give her a portion of the gate with a minimum. Yeah. And, you know, if you sell, and I said to them, what do you mean if she sells? Are you kidding? Aretha Franklin, if she sells? Right. But, you know, that's Vegas. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. But I, I, I thought it was a brilliant idea. And and that's kind of what I'm known for yeah. is innovation, imagination, and, and what I'm so excited about with, with the new theater projects we're doing, they're big, they're worldwide, they're exciting, they're different, and they're financially very, very secure because any one of them that makes it is going to do a billion dollars. And I think they're all like my children. I think they're all going to make it, you know? Yeah. But, and we're not relying on Broadway. We're, we're going to be in London, Australia, Toronto, of course, New York and L.A. and Texas and Chicago and Atlanta. So the, these shows travel beautifully, but they will be so well promoted from the beginning with big stars yeah. Yeah. that, um, you know, wouldn't you love to see Bette Midler in Hello, Dolly, not just on Broadway, but wouldn't it be nice if you could see her tour in the various places? And, and, you know, when a big star steps in a show like Hugh Jackman did in Music Man, you know, the, they did three million a week. Yeah. And when he's not in the show, it would do like a million. When Bette Midler did Dolly, it was 2.2 million a week. When she wasn't in the show and Donna Murphy did it, and Donna's fabulous. I mean, she's a wonderful actress, but it only did seven or 800,000 a week. Yeah. So people want to see big stars, yeah. and we're gonna we're gonna hopefully make that happen. Although That's, there's there's some good ensemble pieces, Hamilton, Chorus Line, those work as well. But but I I, I, I love I love to see big stars, and they don't yeah. come to Fresno or Modesto. <laughs> I have a really good friend and and client of mine that lives in Clovis, and I've never been out there, but I know it's I know in that it area. Uh, yeah. That's crazy. So, so, and then Laura is another dear friend of mine. Do, I call her Dr. Laura because she's a doctor. Um, she said that Aretha, because Laura lives in Michigan um, and I'm from Ohio. So we're really enemies, but we, we won't talk about that. Um, but, but Laura said that, that Aretha lived, lived, she corrected herself here, but lived next door to her besties, Nana, and she actually knew her. That's pretty cool. Wow. Uh, well, Aretha, Aretha is one in a minute. I, I was backstage with H.B. Barnum at an Aretha concert down at the um, one of the big hotels in Miami, Miami Beach. Yeah. And um, she was eating ribs in her mink coat, and it was summer. And she said, H, go out and start playing. I'll come out when I'm ready. And it was a charity event. Yeah. So they had been drinking and it was a ballroom 
And she walked out on stage and looked at this crowd. And she turned to HB and says, I think we need to take this group to church. I don't think they've been to church in a long time. Wow. And she really didn't like the fact that they were drunk and carrying on as she walked out. So she sang five songs and ended it. Walked out. That was it. Good night. And uh, she was just a, a fan. And they loved it. And you know what? They were fine. They were fine, you know. But um, she was independent and uh, one of our great, great stylists for sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I have the privilege. Uh, Nancy Stafford is another. You might know Nancy from Matlock. She, oh. was, she was Ben's, you know, right-hand yeah. attorney. And Nancy is someone that my mom and I used to watch and all of this. And, and she's such a wonderful performer. And I met Nancy in an audition for a car commercial just before she got the Matlock role. <coughs> and I really owe Nancy a big thank you because um, she helped me make that first breakthrough from regional advertising to national advertising. And she was Miss Florida. She was in the Miss America pageant. She's wow. a wonderful human being and, and her husband and she are just wonderful couple in Hollywood that do so much, you know, so many good things and help so many people. And she's now doing a lot of independent films and things. Yeah. But along the way, as you go up in your career, um, stay in touch and always remember these people that you're with that help you, that you help them. We're all going to keep growing. Yeah. And it's very exciting to think that God never gives up on us. I remember wow. I was a member of the Hollywood Presbyterian Church in LA and I loved it. I was active and, you know, very uh, popular with everyone yeah. and they loved my energy. And so I suggested to Lloyd Ogilvy, the pastor, I would like to do a Sunday afternoon, three hour seminar on what is heaven like? And I, because I was curious and it got a lot of buzz. And um, one of the gals is today a big manager in, in Hollywood agreed to help me put it on. And um, Terry Snell was her name, is her name, I should say. Yeah. She was in Home Alone. She was aunt whatever in Home yeah. Alone. And um, so Terry and I put on What Is Heaven Like? And it was the biggest Sunday afternoon yeah. seminar they had ever had. Well, Monday I had to go to the church because I couldn't pay my rent and I had no food. And they had a had a fund and they had a, a, a thing that if you're in that position, come see them. Well, their jaws dropped. They, they couldn't believe that I had just done this big and I couldn't, I needed help. So now you go before a deacon's committee. <laughs> Now you have to be interrogated. On the same day, I hope, right? <laughs> no, it was a couple of days further, but that's oh, a good geez. They call an emergency meeting and they had like three or four deacons that come to hear your story and all of that. But to those of you that, that have trouble making the rent payment this month, worry about PG&E cutting off, is my cell phone going to get cut off? I've been there. Yeah. We've all been there. Yeah. And we go through these challenging Time. Some people, when they get impatient, they start drinking heavy or they start getting into drugs, which in Hollywood, it's part of it. Right. I've seen it all. And I want you to know if you're in the middle of it or you're going through it, others have gone through it. Others get through it. I write a blog every Sunday to the industry. And last week, the title of that blog was, you got to go through it to get through it. Amen. And we've yep. been there. So yeah. please never give up hope. And if you're in a position where you just say, I don't have any answers, well, neither did I at certain times. Yep. And that's really when you know and you feel that God still cares because there's nowhere else you can turn. He's the only place the only person left for you in certain circumstances. Yeah. So I'm so grateful that I've hit those difficult pastures in my zip code as well yeah. and got me to where I am. I'm very 
uh, tough now. And when I get disappointing news, which we all do, and certainly in showbiz and sure. you're capitalizing projects, you were counting on this. I just dismiss it now as information, not as a dif- disappointment. It's just yeah. information. Pivot from it. Pivot from it. Move on from it. And the sooner you do, the better off you'll get. And there's others that have been there. Uh, you know, uh, you know that my best friend is a is an actor, and he's been in Hollywood and for 45 years, 48 years. Um, and, um, he, you know, he, um, I, 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 through him and his eyes, I've seen all kinds of just things that like, what? And really they do that out there. And, and so how do you, cause you know, I know, you know, this, that things are, they're, they're just different than middle America for sure. Right. So how do you navigate the, I mean, from biblical principles, you're navigating some shark filled waters sometimes. How do you do that? How do you stay the course and not go, you know? I think it starts with personal habits and discipline. Um, I get up every morning and I spend time reading the scripture and then I stop reading the scripture and I just have this quiet time together. Yeah. And I listen. Yeah. And I pray, God, protect me today. Yeah. God goes with me every single day. And I'm not perfect. Right. In our universe that you're referring to that I play in every day, yeah. the slightest little thing can trigger intensity because these people are high strung. And if they're gonna fall off the cliff, they're gonna get an addiction, they're gonna go all the way. There's not, you know, if they're gonna drink, they don't sort of drink, <laughs> they binge drink. I mean, you know, these are these are big personalities. Yeah, sure. And I think that, first of all, I'm a big fan of their talent. Yep. And I'm a big fan of music. Yeah. And I love the fact that they, not me, have that gift. So my job is to try to create an atmosphere where they can be at their best. Right. Where performers, composers, directors feel safe. And I'm like Uncle Paul. You can always call call me or come to me 24-7, but I'm here to solve problems. And I hope that that mentality has served me well over the years. And I'm really there for the most talented people at the toughest times in their lives. Because when you're discouraged or you have been waiting and like I said, it's my turn. Why isn't it my turn? Well, maybe I can give some advice that you're on your way. You're right where you're supposed to be. And never forget God's ahead of you. God's ahead of you. And there are things that are happening that are probably going to make your opportunity bigger than you imagined. Mm. Or there are things that are happening that are reducing something inferior that's blocking your progress. Both things happen. But I'll tell you, Usher said something in an interview I haven't forgotten. They asked him, what are you going to do next? And his answer was, it doesn't really matter because it's not about the destination. It's about the process. That's where Usher's at. And I get up every day in this process. And I think to your point, how do I handle the disappointments and and, and the intensity? Yeah. Just information. It's just information that I feed into my computer, my mind, that I deal with next. I'll never forget, um, I couldn't come up with an idea of who should write the book for First Wives Club, the, the musical. And I wasn't happy. I couldn't think of anything. And Francesca Zambello, our director, one of the great opera directors in the world, and she was doing this musical. She thought for a minute, she said, how about Lily Tomlin? I said, what a great idea. (laughs) She said, well, give me a minute. So she walked out with her cell phone onto the sidewalk and she came back in and she said, call Lily tomorrow at nine o'clock. Here's her phone number. Well, when I called Lily, she's married 
to Jane and Jane is the writer. So mm-hmm. all these wonderful things that come out of Lily's mouth is really a bit written by Jane. Yeah. So if you want to meet Lily Tomlin, you need to meet Jane yeah. because that's the Lily Tomlin we know. Right. And my point in this was Lily was very strong with me. So Paul, I'm not going to write it. Jane's going to write it. So if you want her to do it, she has to do it and give her the credit. Not me. I said, now Lily, just a minute. If we're going to sell tickets, which is part of what this is about, we can do it. Lily Tomlin and Jane, but we really want your name on it. And we had this horrible discussion because she really (laughs) wanted only Jane's name to be right. And then um, one of the agents at CAA said to me, who represented them and says, oh boy, get ready. You know, it's just going to be difficult. The next thing, Jane, you know, I talked to them and Jane said, now I'll be writing some of the lyrics too. So you have to tell Holland Dozier Holland, I'll be inserting myself into their lyrics. I went, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I mean, these are some of the greatest writers of all time. I wow. don't think. Now, this was one of those moments you're talking about. Yeah. And it's a moment that didn't work out. We had to part ways because it wasn't a good fit. And the wonderful Rupert Holmes came in and Rupert, who's won three Tony Awards, really picked up the ball and did a great job. And then Rupert got a Broadway show that was happening. He had to leave and do that. We went to Linda Bloodworth Thomason, who wrote Women. And and so you've got to roll, understand there's always a window that's open, but take that shot, take that shot and understand it's just information. I, I, Paul, I could, you know, I could talk to you all day. Um, we had a long conversation, beautiful conversation yesterday for at least 30, 45. I don't even remember. It was, but it was beautiful. Um, I've never asked, I just feel compelled to ask this. And I've never asked this question on, on my show ever. Um, from your perspective, why are we here? What I, I think every human being, 8 billion people are wa- wandering the planet, trying to figure all this crap out and asking the same question, why am I here? Have you ever thought about that? And do you know why? Absolutely. And I think about it a lot. When I do a musical, I ask the question, why do I want to do this musical? not just charge in. So if we step back a minute, and that's a great question because it wasn't until later in life that I started exploring it because you're just managing as your career is going upward, hopefully. You just manage, 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 and promote, promote, promote. But why am I here? And the way I would address that for people to consider anyway, God has a purpose for you. And when I realized his purpose, if I could grab onto it, I was gonna discover where my talents really lie. And the happiest a person can ever be is when you're doing what you're called to do, where you're called to do it. And if you learn to trust God, you now have access to his resources. And I think Billy Graham one time was being interviewed by Sean Hannity. And Billy said, a similar question was asked to Billy. What do you think of the world? It's in chaos and all of this. And he said, look, John, we all know how this all ends. Right. And I'm just passing through. And so are you. Yeah. And so those that have the opportunity to think about an eternal life, think about being in heaven, think about now being with Aretha Franklin in heaven and Mary Wilson in heaven and so many others that make up heaven. One of the musicals we're doing is the story of Lucifer getting thrown out of heaven. Heaven was in harmony. Tim Story and I have worked on this script. Wow. It's in harmony. And all of a sudden someone wanted to disrupt that harmony and God 
took them away. But God's love and his goal for Paul Lambert is he gave me two parents that did a fabulous job of letting me become me. My brother is very different than me. And God helped them in their growth. They were from Oklahoma. They prayed every day for their kids. That was their calling, yeah. was to create me and create my brother and I. So I think, again, it's partly about you're here to live today. Don't even worry about the big picture. Paul, what are you here to do today? What am I doing today? Because 80% of my life will be the routine of my life, which is what I do today. The 20% is the big stuff, the award shows and, and all of that. And I do love my life. I love where I'm at. And I love the fact that I finally agreed that the happiest I could ever be is when I found out what God intended me to be. Wow. Because once you plug in to that and be bold, remember when you're there, you have access to God's resources. You have access to money. You have access to opportunity that is so much bigger than you could imagine on your own. Yeah. Because another one of your Tim story, um, great quotes is I'm going to take my natural and add his super and together <laughs> we've become supernatural. And it's so that's amazing. Thought. That's a great thought. It so really I, I, I want to just say it. If you have a disciplined life and you plug into where I am, who I am, as I told you earlier today, my disco days are over. And so I get up at four o'clock every morning, but I go to bed at eight o'clock most of the yeah. time at night. Yeah. And I get up at four in the morning. It is beautiful to watch the sun come up and watch the day begin. It is gorgeous. It's just a new habit. And then when a show happens, I reverse it. I'm up at night again, you know, yeah. but uh, I, I'm so privileged to be on this show with you. And I've loved being able to talk with you and, and those that are listening. And anyone that wants to get in touch with me, please feel free to. And um, how, how does somebody go about... First, I, I receive, by the grace of God, I receive your your Sunday um, emails of your, your blog. It's amazing. Oh, thank um, you. How, thank how you. would somebody get in touch with you or get... get I think anything? the best way is just go P. Lambert. Paul Lambert, that's P Lambert, L-A-M-B-E-R-T, 25 at Mac.com. P Lambert, 25 at Mac, M-A-C.com. And that's the best way. Wherever I am traveling or whatever, I check that every day. But I'm here for you. I'm not one of these people that's so far away. You know, Sherry Lansing, as you know, head of Paramount, she had a habit. And as big and as powerful and as busy as she was, from four to five o'clock every day, she returned every phone call she got. It was wow. her habit. And she could only speak briefly because she had so many, but yeah. you were going to hear back from her. And hopefully any of you that are interested in theater, show business, have a personal issue. If I can help, I'm happy to. Uh, but where we're going with iStage Live is going to, put LA on the map. It's the one area of entertainment LA has not been involved in, which wow. is a big studio that creates global musicals that will be distributed around the world. I have one last question. And I do ask this question of, on, of everyone. <clears throat> this is, this is your opinion, but I'm going to interject one thing. The number one answer to this is fear. And I anticipate that you're going to do better than that. <laughs> <laughs> the question is this. It, it, what do you think stops people from having it all? And I'm talking about financial freedom, real joy and happiness, the just everything, having it all, what prevents people from, from experiencing the real joys and happiness of life? It starts with what is it at all? What is it all? And for me, it's when I learned how to experience and be in the presence of God. Hmm. Once you get there, 
and it's not a postage stamp to your life, but you realize you really are here in the presence of God and you surrender. And I didn't want to surrender. I don't like surrendering. I'm a man of, of destiny and, and competitiveness. But rather than surrender, let's say, join with God, with, again, his calling for me, and then you get it all. Wow. Surrender. surrender. Join with. Well, I, I have a trouble with that word, surrender. I, I would just say embrace and join with God. But it does truly mean surrender. I have a chapter in my first book that that's titled surrender. <laughs> like literally, like I remember the day I had to, I had to like, or die. So, it's, you know, a lot of people have asked me, please write a book, write about it. And I said, well, I don't know what I would write it about. Um, and I don't know who would read it, but I, I do know that I have a title if I ever wrote the book and it's germane to what you're saying here. The title will be what matters is the only thing that matters. Oh, that's and what matters here is finding that connection with your creator. He loves me and he loves you. And it takes you a long time to understand even what that means. He forgives me. I, I, I know my temptations, my tendencies are no different than yours. And um, what a joy it is to have finally found that understanding with God. Is that the path to discovering your purpose? Because I think that a lot of people don't know what their purpose is. And, well, and, I, I would, we'd need another, another one of these on that subject. But I yeah. do think, I do think you get in a routine and you get off the game. The game yeah. should be pursue and, and it starts with what do I like? What do I enjoy? Who do I enjoy doing it with? Because that's in you for a reason. Yeah. You know, I love theater, but I love to watch someone sing a song and interpret a song. See, I, I think singers, a lot of performers, they have the instrument, but they don't have the heart. Mm. And if you don't have the heart to interpret a song, then you're just babbling away. You know, um, I love what I do. And I discovered that's what I enjoy. I was friends with Sissy Houston, Whitney Houston's mother. And when Whitney was 14 and, and 12, she used to come down to the Sweetwater with her mom who would sing. And little Whitney would get up there with mom at age 14. And I was in the audience before Whitney was ever wow. Whitney Houston. In oh fact, I was God. very surprised that Whitney became this big star based on what I had watched. And I got a, a, a notice one time right after You Give Good Love came out. And she, um, she um, brought her mom up on stage at the Blue Note. If you know New York, it's a little place, the Blue Note. Brought her mother, mom up on stage. And just like her mother used to bring her up on stage. Yeah. The first night, Whitney did a live show. She only did three songs and two of them were with her mother. And I was there. And my point is... These are moments you always remember. And Whitney went into her struggles and Whitney got detached from her love of God. She loved the Lord too. She was in the church choir when she was young. Wow. And God, I think, finally said, I'm going to bring you home, Whitney. It's time you just come be with me. Wow. It'll be better. You know, and God love her. What a great talent. I, Paul, I, you've given me, I've gotten full body chills. Like, I don't know, five times. I think like, that's insane. I don't get full body chills during my show. That's insane. Paul Lambert, you are inimitable. Like there's not e nowhere even close in the universe. Is there anyone like you? You're, you're an incredible soul and I'm so grateful that you um, came on and invested in me and my audience, your wisdom. You're, you're amazing. Thank you. You're welcome. Good to be here. If you'll stay with me, I'm going to end the live stream now, but thank you so much for everybody that's been on here. 
David has a huge comment here. I'll show you where you can read through all the comments in a second. Hang on. I'll be right back. I'm going to wrap this up. But thank you to everybody, and especially you, Paul. Thank you for being here and sharing all of your love and wisdom with us. So you all have a great day. Thank you so much.